Philosophically, I'm a skeptic. But just who and what are we skeptics? Skepticism means having good reasons for holding any belief. Skeptics are folks who are cautious about drawing their conclusions, but always willing to change their minds upon the presentation of new or better information. Don't equate us with cynics who believe that people are basically bad and that our world is an evil place. We believe, always with good reason, that most people tend to too easily accept supernatural, paranormal, or irrational explanations of quite ordinary events and claims that can be explained otherwise by careful investigation. We skeptics come from all walks of life and may have very differing viewpoints about the world, but we share a commitment to careful and respectful discussion and to respectfully examining the fads, claims, and assertions about supposedly supernatural events or processes. We recognize that an opinion does not always represent a fact, and we make judgments and draw logical conclusions, though on occasion, for sufficient reason. We will withhold that judgment pending the arrival of more data. Welcome back to the Paranormal Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Welcome to your season four finale. That was a quote that I really do identify with. If you do as well, good for you. If it makes you uncomfortable, I ask, why? People all too often conflate skepticism with cynicism. It's just not the same. People also conflate parapsychology with pseudoscience, someone with faith in things they can't explain with someone easily misled and tricked, all psychics and mediums with scam artists. These things are not the same. A plus B does not always equal C. It can, but not always. Those are also letters. Why are we adding them? I hated algebra. That is besides the point. Nothing is black and white here, y'all. We are here to sift through the foggy, foggy gray. The holidays are fast approaching, ladies, gents. Are you a last-minute race-to-the-finish-line gift giver such as myself? Look no further than our friends at Manscaped. They are the leading men's hygiene brand and have a wide selection of go-to items, making your holiday shopping easy this year. And from the comfort of your own home, too. Get free shipping and 20% off by going to manscaped.com and using the code PNG at checkout. Tired of cutting the same old crop circles with your old trimmer? The Lawnmower 4.0 might make you feel a little less alien. Enter the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, anti-chafing, deodorizing, moisturizing, toning. Disclosure worthy, y'all. Manscaped sent me the performance package to try out all of these items. Uh, they also let us try out the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, which I haven't reported on as of late. My nose holes are still quite clean-shaven and clear. Thank you for asking. Nose holes for the win, folks. I have been eyeballing the body buffer on their site. Think I'll be grabbing one for Lee this year because he's loved everything else and I want to get him things he's going to use. He about to be feeling extra fresh and oh so squeaky clean in the new year. Squeak, squeak. Get the men in your life hygiene products they will actually use and gift him something you both will appreciate. Get 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com and entering code PNG at checkout. His jingle balls will thank you. The skeptical episode. 
might have upset a few people. Spent a good portion of my day prior to sitting down and compiling all the information from the season for the finale, fielding comments and messages, maybe an email. Um, I was befuddled, a bit confused, but I listened. I will always listen to what you have to say. I'm digging my own grave here by saying this, but I take all of the messages I get from listeners incredibly seriously. I take it all into consideration because I want to understand where you might be coming from. There were some things I missed about James Randi in my research. I was quite content to present him as the open-minded skeptic that he presented himself to be, that most people know him to be. It never occurred to me to be skeptical of a skeptic. And by that, I truly do mean skeptical, open-minded while still looking at all of the facts. I will be sharing some of that information with you today. Something else occurred to me, though it wasn't explicitly said by anyone, something that made me realize that what I say on this show is having real impact for some people. And, and that is such an honor, but it's nerve-wracking, too. <laughs> this all started as a personal quest, a journey I wanted to share in with others like me. But I am just a girl staring into the abyss, desperately hoping it stares back. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it just doesn't. And I have to honor that either way. Otherwise, that would make me a liar. So allow me to make something clear. I have had guests on this show who are gifted psychics and mediums. They have had incredible experiences and share extraordinary tales. And I believe them. I have listeners of this show who are gifted psychics and mediums, some who have become very good friends. They have told me jaw-dropping stories of using their abilities, things I can't explain. And I believe them. I do. But there are also people out there who are scamming others by claiming they have these abilities. That is just a fact that cannot be argued. When I air a skeptical episode like that, it is meant to illuminate, not to offend. I'm not here to offend anyone. The conversation is too important to me. Psychic ability and mediumship is some people's calling. It's their thing. It hurts to have your thing poked at. That came out wrong, but you know what I mean. But in the spirit of transparency and education, I've also got to make it abundantly clear as to how and why I arrive at the conclusions that I do by sharing the evidence that I have found. But if you really thought, based on just one super-duper skeptical episode, that that makes this whole subject a wash for me? Oh, ye of little faith. I mean, have you listened to the rest of the season? I recommend you do. It was a good one. But yeah, obviously, if you are a psychically gifted, sensitive person, if you have personal experience in this world, you have nothing to fear from me. I believe you. I have other reasons why I do, but it's just that easy. And I believe the sensitives in my circle are real. And I don't think anyone I know is trying to hurt or trick anyone. Wasn't it interesting, though, to see just how 
easily somebody who wants to do just that can. And it's important to call that out. Every last one of us should be calling that out. Psychic and medium abilities are legit on some level for a myriad of reasons, but I believe this for one major reason. We're going to talk about what I mean by some level. We're going to talk about the myriad of reasons. We're going to talk about the major reason. But first, again, in the spirit of transparency and education, let's talk briefly about the things that were left out, unfortunately, from this season. I really intended to cover them, but it just ran out of time. Totally on me, but hopefully by sharing, if anyone is left with any doubt by the end and wants to do their own digging, please look into these other subjects to help further your own education on the matter. We did talk a bit about parapsychology and some studies. I just didn't get as far into it as I wanted to. I wanted to go into depth on the Rhine, the Family Forever Foundation, the Monroe Institute, the Gateway Process, Lloyd Arbach, Gary Schwartz, Zener Cards, early studies and research compared to what's going on today, the rigorousness, the depth that they go to, and the genuine, legitimate, scientifically rational effort that has been made. I wanted to. There's a lot there. Wanted to talk about the tools of the trade. I am a personal fan and collector of crystals. I adore a piece of black tourmaline I have carried around with me for years now. I use it. I sit with it, I put a lot of energy into it, and I genuinely feel like I get something back from it. And not just crystal work, uh, tarot cards, palmistry, tea leaves, scrying, aura reading, dowsing rods. Ugh, there are so many tools of the trade, and I find them all fascinating. Was really excited to take a closer look at all of them. I hate to leave this one on the table. But you know what? I have been tossing around an idea to, at some point, have an entire season dedicated to miscellaneous paranormal topics, odds and ends, things I've missed. But Kristen, isn't that just what any regular paranormal podcast does? Shut up, you. They'll be pooping on my dreams and aspirations. So anyway, we'll see. Off the table for now, onto the vision board. I wanted to talk about other forms of psychic ability, telekinesis, pyrokinesis, telepathy, levitation, bilocation, and the people who do them. Personal experiences and examples worldwide. I'm disappointed, dudes. And one more thing that was left out of this season. Something that needs to be addressed. Pronto. At the beginning of this season, I took a poll to learn which psychic ability my audience wanted me to attempt to do. You guys chose astral projection. I was actually called out regarding my lack of updates on my progress by Steve and Alex over on the Nocturnal Frequency radio program. I adore those guys so much. Go subscribe to their show. So I have a here's the deal, folks, and also a story time. So here's the deal, folks. Right out the gate... I did put a lot of actual effort into astrally projecting with not a lot of results aside from having some strange nighttime excursions, walking around my house and feeling like I was being watched. Eh, could have been anything. The initial lack of results didn't really deter me. The move from the south across the country really threw me off the trail and I had a readjustment period getting back into it. Um, I continued to try 
but kept falling asleep instead of shifting out of body. I was trying the different techniques. Nothing was happening. And at that point, yes, I was deterred. I did keep trying, but only like here and there infrequently. Story time. It had been about a week straight of me just not trying at all. (laughs) Forgetting about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, It was right before the chaos of October, and I had a lot of other things on my mind, a lot to deal with, so whatever. On a night, just like any other night, and when astral projecting couldn't have been further from my mind, something happened. (laughs) And before you roll your eyes, because something paranormal always seems to happen right before season finale, I know, I know, just in the nick of time, calm down. This happened months ago. It's not something I consider to be some shocking, aha, paranormal moment. It's, it's actually something that I've been telling myself was just a dream ever since because it freaked me the hell out. Okay, so it's very simple, very quick. I woke up. The room is very dark. Everything is completely still. And then I get that familiar feeling that there is someone watching me. I lift my head up and look straight down to the foot of the bed, and there was a very black, blacker than the dark around it, very black thing standing there. (laughs) It was in the shape of a person, wasn't extremely tall, but was wider around the middle like it had hips, and I was petrified. (laughs) Unlike other weird stuff that I have told you, like the demon-looking thing last season. This time, there was nothing relaxing or not alarming about this. It was terrifying. I was terrified. And then I slipped very easily into unconsciousness and woke up the next morning almost forgetting that memory. It was very elusive, just like any dream would be if you don't write it down upon waking. But lucky for me, the first thing I do when I wake up now is put my head up and start to stretch. Well, I put my head up, staring at the blank wall down near the foot of the bed. Everything came back. I tell myself this was a dream because I am actually afraid if this was real, if it really happened. But some details to consider for anyone who thinks this could have conceivably been an accidental projection. It happens. It does happen. From experiences I have heard, first-timers often find themselves in the astral plane. It can often look exactly like your regular surroundings. It seems darker than usual. And first-timers in this plane often will encounter shadow figures and other dark entities that reside there waiting for you to, you know, awake in their reality. Oftentimes, these encounters will be so shocking, so scary, they send an astral projector right back from whence they came, right back to their body, awaking and wondering if that really just happened. Other details to consider. I never got a sense of being outside of my body or having a sense of weightlessness or hearing a buzzing sound. It it all happened so quickly that I just don't have enough of the experience to say, oh, it was definitely one thing or another. But that level of fear is not something I wish to experience again. Dream or projection or whatever. It's pretty unforgettable. 
So while I have nothing solid to report on the ability of astral projecting, I can tell you that I completely stopped trying altogether after that because at this point in time, it is my belief that it's a real ability that anyone can do. And if this experience of mine was indicative in any way as to how it would go for me, I, I don't want any part of it. I don't. It's worrying that if this was an accidental projection, which it wasn't, but if it was and was something I wasn't intending to do, I don't want it to accidentally happen again. So I am open to suggestions from anyone listening to ensure that it doesn't. But yeah, for everyone else, weird dream, right? Yep. Just a weird dream. That's it. Story time is over. The meditation is going well. Same as with the astral projection practice, I had to readjust and get back into the flow following our move, but I have stuck with it fairly well since. I think I've got a pretty good handle on it thus far. I do apologize as I never got into the importance and the hows and the whys one should do it. The biggest benefit I've gotten from consistently meditating is a general calmness to my mind that was not there before. I feel a lot less scattered with my thoughts, a lot slower to anger. I think situations through before responding too quickly. It's a well-being that I am pleased to partake in. And I've only got good things to say about having a regular meditation practice. I have also learned it's not quite as hard as I was making it out to be. Forgive yourself if you can't do it right away, because if you can just start and stick with it, you're going to find that it doesn't necessarily have to look like whatever your preconceived notions of it looked like. I can capture a moment to meditate nearly every day now. When I have the time, I go longer. Heck, if I really have the time, I do still pop on one of the, uh, the gateway tracks and disappear for the ride. And if I don't have the time, I'll just step away into another part of our house, turn the lights off, and just sit there for a few minutes. No pressure to process, to think, to visualize. I'm just finding a moment for myself to be still and quiet. Let the thoughts be. They are not some enemy. Let them be and let them go. I can't stop the chatter from happening, but when I reach that super relaxed stage, I find that the ego speaking inside my head just no longer matters. I don't register or identify with it, so therefore it's just not distracting like it used to be. Does that make sense? That has been my journey so far, and I do intend to continue on with it. Okay, let's get into it. In the intro episode for the season, I asked a lot of questions. Over the season, I have formulated some answers, some theories, definitely some opinions, and I have better defined some of the feelings and thoughts I already had prior to beginning this leg of the journey. I mentioned an ethical dilemma. Does the info provided to you from a psychic or medium do more harm than good? There are plenty who will say yes, no question, all boxes checked down the line. But there are those folks whispering in the back that, no, in fact, my experience was good. It helped me to process this thing that happened, this mystery about myself that I couldn't understand. It gave me my hope back. It saved my life. My question upon further consideration, was not well-founded. Because the unspoken part is, 
is this an ethical dilemma because all psychics and mediums are frauds? And I apologize for the unintentional assertion. I, of course, do not think that. I think the only ethical dilemma would be coming into the picture when we're talking about the frauds who are trying to play the game. Um, I've come to realize we can't completely whitewash everything across the entire field because of the bad things that some bad people do, because then we lose out on a lot of good that can come of this. If a medium gave you hope, great. A psychic helped you to conceptualize something you were grappling with, awesome. Ultimately, as much as I want to save people from being tricked and falling victim to the bad apples that exist in this world, it's actually none of my or anyone else's business what two consenting parties are discussing. The ethics about what you do with a psychic or medium in your own time that has nothing to do with me and does not affect the people around you's lives, those ethics are yours and yours alone. The responsibility has to lie solely on the sitter and the reader. Next, we got into the Claire's. I think this was truly the first time that it dawned on me just how subtle these abilities are going to be for most folks. We talked about things like intuition, gut feelings, the internal monologue versus maybe tuning into something else entirely. These are not in-your-face, look-at-me kinds of occurrences. Now, what I am hearing from the psychics and mediums in my life is that they are using clair senses to receive information that they just did not have access to or know beforehand. And it's helping them and it's helping their loved ones. And everyone has access to these extra senses. Not just one, but all of them. It's not something that only a special few have access to. It's inside all of us all of the time. It's a part of being the human animal. And it's just a matter of understanding that they exist and then paying attention to them, using them, getting better at distinguishing between the noise and receiving actual, verifiable, applicable information. And it helped me out quite a bit to consider Claire's senses as simply the next level or an extension on the regular physical senses that they mirror. Like, that helped me as someone who has never considered myself as a person who had access to senses like this before to bring it into a scope of reality, something I could understand and something that was conceivably real. And I feel even more strongly about thinking of these senses as such thanks to the episode on empaths and empathy. Looking at the correlation between empathy, what we all understand and know as basic empathy, and the spiritual idea of an empath. Two very similar concepts, damn near identical in some aspects. When I say something like, I completely feel what you are saying, or I know how you feel, taken out of context, who am I talking about? An empath or a person with empathy. The lines get a little blurry. Science is much more rigid with it, of course, saying there is a very distinct line drawn in the sand here. One is mirror neurons and the other is friggin' witchcraft. <laughs> when they're so damn similar. Like, why are we splitting hairs over this? I had a friend 
call recently who had heard the empath episode and wanted to tell me about a doctor one time who had diagnosed her as empathic. I was like, what? Like a like a doctor doctor? Yep. A licensed therapist and a diagnosis of empathic. And I asked her if she thought her doctor was speaking in like a spiritual sense or a physical mental sense. And she got kind of quiet for a second. And then she said, I've always assumed it was just, you know, empath. She meant like that super connection to others, able to feel what others are feeling at a deeper level. But if we consider that the doctor was talking from a clinical mirror neuron empathy stance, it, it's a good example of the differing perspectives. But again, why are we splitting hairs here? Anywho, I consider the spiritual sense of empathy like an extension of something it closely mirrors, physical, mental, emotional empathy. And that's that. Mediums! I totally said on this episode that I was absolutely down with this ability being real. And I totally still feel this way. The ability is real. I believe that. And I'm completely comfortable saying that. I'm convinced of this ability because I lean far more favorably toward energetic souls existing beyond death. I lean favorably of there being something beyond death far more than I used to. Every time I learn anything new about the paranormal world, it pushes me closer and closer, makes it all seem connected somehow. But the existence of NDE stories where folks were outside of their flatlining body and zipped around the hospital and then were brought back and able to report things that had actually been said in other rooms, things their doctor said over their body when science tells us there is no brain function, no consciousness, no intaking of information at that point. People who were present on the premises that the NDE would have had no indication of prior to their experience, or many who went into the light and come back describing crazy similar accounts of events that take place. Astral projection, that consciousness exists outside of the body, period, is a huge concept supporting existence of an afterlife. Reincarnation, stories of children who couldn't call their mommy mommy because they missed their old mommy and could take people to where they used to live, name all of their family members, point out the person who killed them, all to be validated because they had been alive before. Dr. Michael Newton's Journey of Souls, interviewing patient after patient after patient about very similar experiences that were taking place in the space between lives. Coma patients reporting the ability to sense, hear, and see the people around them when there was no logical way for them to be able to get that information. So the premise here is a separation of consciousness or unique intelligent energy of a person from their body and furthermore existing outside of that body. And if that premise stands, here comes a person who is energetically sensitive, spiritually sensitive, uses clair senses, uses empathic abilities for themselves, for those living folks around them. If it's all just energy here, why wouldn't this person be able also to use those abilities and sensitivities to communicate with the survived consciousness of people who have died. You know, have I gone off the deep end with this one? But I am also convinced by mediums skeptical 
of their own dang ability, like Sean Graham. I am convinced by examples of sincerely specific information given during a reading, not a rainbow ruse, not shotgunning, but a literal communication, a snippet of information that would only be known to the sitter and the deceased. Or even more spectacular, information known only to the deceased and later verified by the sitter, immediately slapping away the possibility that the medium is not a medium but a mind reader, reading whose mind? The deceased persons? The Family Forever Foundation vets, evaluates, and certifies only mediums with exceptional ability. The Monroe Institute has explored human consciousness since the early 70s and has shown that there's far more to consciousness and it is expansive and layered and has given us a clearer understanding of non-physical reality, of what lies beyond our physical world, the possibilities of -of out-of-body exploration and out-of-body existence. Julie Bischel, PhD at the Winbridge Institute quintuply blinding mediums during their trials and research, making it impossible for any sensory clues to the mediums, yet some of them coming back with a reported 90% accuracy. Past life memory research at at the University of Virginia, real programs, real institutions, credible places who are conducting serious research about the existence of the afterlife and the legitimacy of those who claim to access it somehow, coming back with stunning results. Stuff like this convinces me. Ectoplasm! Yay! What it meant to female self-agency, empowerment, and respect at the height of the spiritualism movement is pretty important and worth noting. What it meant to empowerment and respect to the psychic world. Set it back a few notches. Introduced a lot of unfair doubt to mediumship then and now. But this is where I split hairs, fairly and logically so. I don't think physical mediums who claimed and still claim to produce the substance known as ectoplasm were or are legitimate. It is hard to deny it is clear fakery. You can't just tell me you can produce this stuff, but then stick me in a dark room with music that's too loud and not allow me to touch it. I can't touch, I can't hear, I can't see, I can't believe. Done and done. Precognition. I talked about a 2010 study out of a critical care medical institute in the country of Georgia that showed that patients in critical conditions showed a higher ability to more accurately predict future events over people who were not in critical condition. Three questions were presented, who would win a football championship, the weather on any given day, and whether fellow patients would survive their conditions. They found that the results of this study were statistically reliable. In 1980, A major survey showed that 5% of the adult population had experienced an NDE. In interviews that followed their experiences as part of an ongoing study, there was a reported increase in psychic and psi-related phenomena taking place in these people's lives following those experiences. 1982, 547 people from the Association of Research and Enlightenment were divided into three groups, a group of NDEers, another of non-experiencers but had been close to death, and a third of non-experiencers who had never been close to death. When comparing 
these folks' experiences, results showed a statistically significant difference between the groups with the NDEers reporting more experiences with psychic and psi-related phenomena. So, the studies and surveys we covered, in a nutshell, will tell us that folks who have died, been close to death, have had some bodily trauma or illness that would put them in critical condition for some reason, puts them at a statistical advantage compared to others in the same trial or pool of people who aren't close to death or have personal proximity to it by presenting higher levels of psychic or psi-related phenomena. And this goes hand-in-hand with historical mystics such as the blinded Baba Vanga, born prematurely and had numerous health issues throughout childhood, and Edgar Cayce, who was just injury-prone and experienced enough bodily trauma throughout his life, getting hit in the head with a flying baseball, almost drowning at one point, having a peephole stabbed through his man bits, physical abuse by his drunkard father, I think it's fair to include him in that group. Now, this is not a full picture by any stretch, but does provide an interesting pattern of cause and effect. When we consider the average everyday person who might not have any interest or knowledge whatsoever in a subject like psychic abilities and precognition and does not easily experience these things in their day-to-day, doesn't naturally consider them to be tools in their toolbox of senses— but could suddenly begin to experience them if put in a sudden position of trauma or close proximity to death, there is something important here. What is it about being in that position that causes that result? Not always, but consistently enough to actually conduct studies and surveys about it. Why do experiencers of these kinds of situations even report these experiences at all rather than not say anything because they are having experiences, I think, vastly different enough to their regular life experiences. Stark contrast. And it maybe should be noted that across the board of just indie ears, most of the time they come back with this sense of we are all one The only mission here on earth is love and to help others, and they often report no longer having a fear of death. These effects on these people can last for years after their experience. It's like these experiences shake off blinders. We're all guilty of putting up over the course of our lives. I I don't know. I'm still grappling with this particular information. I see the pattern. I see the significance of it, but I don't know what it means. That being said, I did question in that episode whether or not someone had to have experienced bodily trauma or death in order to experience precognition. And thanks to the Stargate episodes, I think we can safely say no, no, they they do not. But it could be just one of many avenues people are taking to fast track access to the ability. And Stargate is another reason I believe precognition to be real. Not convinced by the thousands of predictions made throughout history that could have been misinterpreted and exaggerated, not the mystics who made them and those people's stories, but an experiment completely separate from it and didn't even intend to prove the existence of precognition in the first place, but still started seeing that it was occurring in some of the viewings. It's all connected. 
Hello, my name is Jordan Klein, and I am the host of Fireside Paranormal Podcast. If you're into ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, the unknown, then pull up a chair and join me by the fire as we hear real stories from real people. Each episode, I interview paranormal investigators, authors, experts, and legends in their field. Here at Fireside Paranormal Podcast, we have something for everyone. If you're an experienced researcher or if you're just getting into it, we have a spot for you. We're found anywhere you listen to podcasts. So grab your friends, tune in, and remember, don't be afraid, only believe. Welcome back. Let's take a moment to give thanks and recognize some of the best people I know for their contributions to this show's success with their very own PGP Awards. Most podcasters won't tell you this, but I feel like spilling some tea. The truth is, though I make this look oh so easy, elegant, flawless, doing this stuff is pretty dang hard. But continuing to carry the torch and fighting the good fight so that the good, hard-working people of this country have something to zone out to while vacuuming their living rooms and suffering through long-ass commutes is made all the easier with the kind of inspiration, support, and love I have received from the following people this season. Episode 50 was a major turning point for me. The show got a brand new sound and, in turn, a brand new feel to it. A gorgeous, spooky, moody melody carefully crafted and produced by none other than musician Bear Klein. Incredibly talented, incredibly busy, I thank you for lending both your talent and time to me, sir. I hereby give you best composition for a podcast theme song. American Paranormal Magazine and editor Ms. Kim Eaton. Kim featured a write-up for the show in the July issue this year. APM is an outstanding magazine that is quickly becoming a leading online and print publication for the paranormal community, and Kim is so supportive of the paranormal field and the people who exist within it. Her support not only includes paranormal investigation teams of all sizes, but podcasters, educators, researchers, and authors working to spread awareness and share their knowledge. Thank you for your support, Kim. You get this season's standout paranormal publication. Thanks to my partnership with Whitman County Humane Society, it is such a privilege being able to shout out and give support the best way I can to a cause I care a great deal about and to be in association with such a kind, big-hearted crew of people. I give you best dog's best friend. I am currently holding a tarot card in my hand, the character on which looks eerily familiar. What in the... <gasps> That's me! What is this? It's the tarot of the unexplained. That's what! Artist, illustrator, Santero. Dave Linabury designed a tarot deck that would delight anyone, paranormally enthused or familiar. It certainly delighted me, and I actually got a wee bit emotional, finally getting to hold the real thing in my hands. It just means the world to me, Dave, that you included me. Thank you. And thank you for your continued support of the show. It is so crazy to me sometimes thinking about all of the cool people I never would have met had I decided anything at all differently over the past almost two years. Dave, you're one of them. You get this season's best friend of the show. My guests this season were phenomenal. Couldn't have done it without you guys. Truly. 
Honestly, really, thank you for the fascinating conversations and thank you for allowing me to learn from you. I have included all of their social handles and or websites below to check them out and follow. Please do. You all get this season's best guest. And I was honored to be invited as a guest on a few shows myself this season. These people got good taste. Just saying. Thanks to Sam at Reckless Airwaves Radio, Reeves Cook at the Paratalk Podcast and also Paratalk Live, Sean, Todd, and Nate at Middle-Aged and Creeped Out, Jordan, Nate, and Roger at Werewolf Radar, Jeremy Bryant at Paranormal, The New Normal, Damian Christie at Life Beyond Six Feet, Steve and Alex at Nocturnal Frequency Radio, and Christina Gomez at Shifting the Paradigm. I am going to be joining Christina once again this Friday on the live stream show, Strange Paradigms. Really looking forward to that. Y'all get best podcast programming. And a final special thank you goes out to my friend Jordan Klein at Fireside Paranormal, Paranormal Investigator Jason Fife, Jason Cordova from Crypto Science Society, my family, and Lee. Your support and advice over the past season has meant so much more than you know. I think the biggest blown away moment for me this entire season had to be remote viewing and Stargate. I said at the beginning of the season that it was so easy to call fraud and fakery on psychic abilities when you're screaming from a distance. And while, yes, I was already friendly about certain aspects of the psychic world, such as mediumship and empathic abilities, I was indeed looking at certain parts of this from a distance. I didn't have enough proximity, educationally speaking, to such subjects as precognition and remote viewing, which feeds any doubt at all I might have still held about the subjects that I was friendly toward. Skepticism tends to feed itself, and it can get a little insidious. And I believe that is something we've got to be careful of, too. But you know how confirmation bias is pointed to regarding the success of cold reading and blind belief in what a reader is telling you? The same can be said of someone's unrestrained skepticism allowed to dictate their full understanding about psychics and mediums, despite evidential data. This would be called rejection bias, which is the tendency of people to reject information that does not match their beliefs a prominent trait of pseudo-skepticism. Rejection, absent investigation. And I read a pretty alarming take on James Randi, an article called The Man Who Destroyed Skepticism, which does a good job painting him in such a light. I think that needs to be addressed. Because he had and continues to have such a massive influence and impact on full-on believers and experiencers, full-on skeptics, and people like me. The skeptical believer trying to understand and figure out what it is that I believe here, what is real. His influence was so powerful, and his approach to all of the paranormal was critical. I, I don't think that's up for debate. However, what he had to say about how he was just skeptical when he approached certain things, what he had to say about being just as content to find proof of the paranormal as he was not to, isn't really true. He said in an interview in the New York Times, because if I were to start out saying, this is not true, and I'm going to prove it's not true, that means I've made up my mind in advance. 
So every project that comes to my attention, I say, I just don't know what I'm going to find out. That may end up, and usually it does end up, as a complete debunking, but I don't set out to debunk it. And I don't think this was the truth, despite his own intentions about it. And the article that painted him as a pseudoskeptic for all transparency is written by Mitch Horowitz. Uh, I haven't read a super ton from him just yet, but the things I have read to this point have been interesting and seem to be thoroughly thought through. Like, I, I quite enjoy some of his theories. I would say he's a good voice to have in the paranormal world, makes you think about things differently. But he obviously thought Randy was a detriment in his severely critical approach to any progress toward any actual, legitimate, fair study of parapsychology, psi phenomena, and mediumship. And now that I've had time to sit with it, he is right. When asked about the million-dollar jackpot and any worries about actually having to pay it one day, Randy didn't flinch. I always have an out, he said. I am right. When asked how the decision to award the money would be made, would there be a committee, he responded, If someone claims they can fly by flapping their arms, the results don't need any decision. What committee? Why would a committee be required? I don't understand the question. So rather than being truly skeptical about his approach, he really wasn't. His decision was already made, despite any showing or performative effort to put a psi-ability to a scientific test. He said he didn't like being referred to as a debunker, but he was. And I'm really battling with this. I've, I've been battling with it since I read that. And believe me, please, that, that's not where I stopped. I didn't just suddenly fly off the handle. I dug around and found this article's exact opposite from another skeptic called Did James Randi Destroy Skepticism, which combs through the Horowitz article and is able to explain away some of the points that Mitch was making, some of the harsher lies and misinterpretations about Randi, but while still leaving a bunch on the table. And this writer also had very good points of his own, good points made on both sides of the Randi debate. I'll put them both downstairs here for you to take a look at, and maybe you'll feel the battle within yourself that I feel. The honest takeaway, the only takeaways I've got here. I am glad that James Randi caught real fraudulent psychics in the act. So glad. I'm actually glad that he introduced doubt so publicly, because that doubt down the road could save someone a lot of grief, time, and money. And it also gives anyone who is actually a real skeptic good examples of how to approach something they're unsure of in order to take proper, fair steps to test it. But it does not sit right with me that his mind was already made up at the start, that it was never up for debate. That puts everything he did in conflict of interest. And the effect that he had was resounding. And you know, if that is the case, what happens when you are presented with evidence, more than enough evidence, statistically significant results? Will it ever be enough because it doesn't align with what you already believe to be true when you already think you're right? Which might be the case with an overwhelming amount of evidence pointing toward an inevitable conclusion, such as with remote viewing. 
I went back and re-listened to those two parts a couple of times because even weeks after recording those, forgetting a lot of the finer details, I still sat in a pretty comfortable believership about the ability to remote view and the Stargate program. So I went back, I re-listened, I was curious why I felt so strongly about this subject compared to any of the other subjects we've covered. Here's what I realized. There ended up being so much evidence in my mind across the board. I can't not think the whole thing was legit and everything happened as they laid it out. Like the government or anyone who's never taken the time to look into it will try to gaslight you about this. But this isn't like hearsay, my good dudes. For anyone patient enough, you can dig through the CIA archives yourself and find the sessions on semi-palatensk and Patton Joe's extraordinarily accurate sketches, mission details, plans for the future based on current successes, successful viewings and missions accomplished and time-stamped transcripts of how it all went down. Like, there is no denying these things happened but also that they were succeeding. So why are people still denying that psychic abilities are real? Role play with me for just a second. You're Matt Damon, and I'm Robin Williams at the end of Goodwill Hunting. Follow my lead. <clears throat> There's more than enough evidence. No, no, shh, shh. There's more than enough evidence. Hold on, shh, listen, listen. There's more than enough evidence. Believe what you want, guys, but it is my opinion that there's more than enough evidence to support the existence and further study of remote viewing. How to do it, what types of people are better suited for it, we understand the concept of noise versus signal, we understand there can be a precognitive and retrocognitive element to it sometimes, we understand past remote viewing sessions conducted under scientific protocols return statistically significant amounts of hits to misses far exceeding an amount that would support chance or lucky guessing. So if we understand these things, then we understand that psychic abilities across the board are conceivably real. And that is my final conclusion. I believe they are real. I still want to see the studies, <laughs> the experiments. I want to see the receipts, just like I have been able to see with the Stargate papers. Our government won't give anything like this the light of day again for a while, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. But if I'm right, then it's up to us. Support places like the Rhine Institute, Society for Psychical Research, Family Forever Foundation, Monroe. They are typing up those receipts as we speak. Two final things to share with you is my final conclusive theory regarding these abilities based on what I have found. Anyone is totally free to disagree and prove me wrong. I welcome it. And the other is the biggest reason I'm a believer on this one, the thing that convinces me even more than seeing scientific documentation and experimentation from our own government. So here's the final theory. I hammered again and again about the subtlety of these abilities. I have learned that these abilities are not relegated to the few and the blessed. They are in everyone. I disagree with continuing to call these abilities a gift in that respect. A gift from who? Who gave this gift? Gift also says to me it's something that might not be given to everyone. I also disagree with calling it a talent. 
also excludes and makes it seem unavailable to some because we can't all be award-winning pianists, you know? But I do think of it as an ability along the lines of walking. It's an ability lying dormant or no, but inside all of us, like Russell Targ said, the biggest secret is that everyone is psychic. Back to the subtlety for a second. I think a lot of immediate skepticism worldwide comes from the stereotyped image we get from Hollywood of an old olive-skinned woman in a purple headscarf sitting in the dark, passing her long fingernailed hands over a swirling crystal ball as she stares deeply into it for the truth. So mystical, so dramatic. The storefront psychic. And that image makes it all the harder, all the more embarrassing and hard to talk about how this ability might be surfacing and look in our average everyday life. Think more moments of insight from nowhere. Feelings of being compelled to make a decision. Suddenly thinking of a loved one and then hearing they just passed away. Hearing a small voice in your mind that says, turn left, not right. And thankfully you listened. Quiet, subtle things happening to all of us every day, all throughout the day. And we brush these things off. We forget about it. It is nothing in comparison to what we thought we knew about psychic abilities and mediumship, not even close. It's just coincidence. <sighs> Have you ever mentally noted throughout your day just how often these gut feelings or intuitions actually occur, though? Like how many coincidences is going to happen before you start to question it a little bit? My theory is simple. You ready for it? Here it is. This is not magic. It's not all that special. And it's actually not paranormal. But we've got a long way to go before we realize that as a species. It's in all of us and is meant to be used by all of us. From working professionals to everyday average blue-collar folks, for our own well-being, for the well-being of our loved ones, it's the extra layer to your senses that is there to help you sense the world around you, survive, and thrive. The part that I don't know yet is if it can be accessed on command. It seems elusive to me. Like, it's an accident when you do take notice of it. I know enough psychics and mediums that I believe that talk about how they access their gifts. So I assume that, yes, with practice and intention, it could be accessed on command, just like any other sense you have. And if you have been trying with no success, just imagine being a baby, learning how to walk. You don't start out knowing how. You don't have success for a long time. Some people get it right away. Some take more time. But one day, you get up and then just keep going. And it clicks like only a mystery that finally makes sense to you can. Circling back briefly to what I said last episode about not paying money for someone else to read you and should this ability really be anyone's job. Those were hasty things to say. I have been educated on a few things I had not considered. My only concern when saying those things was specifically about frauds and the people they are frauding and how do we on a societal level avoid that. That's all. 
I now understand there may be very good reasons for an exchange of money or goods for this sort of information in some circumstances, and I understand the give and take of it. Not talking loads of money, but just enough to give it value, because it is valuable. So thank you, Dave, for the insight and the differing viewpoint. But yeah, it's not magic. It's available to anyone. You got to remember, they were plucking cops and soldiers and artists and photographers and even other scientists that worked for SRI just out of their regular lives and teaching them to remote view successfully. They were just ordinary people. All right, this is where I tell you my big reason for going team psychics and mediums. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Carl Sagan. What I'm about to say is extraordinary evidence to no one but me. (laughs) Because there is nothing like doing something yourself that will convince you more. I am not psychic, but I have had experiences sensing things to come in ways I can't explain. And I think I've figured it out because of this season's subject, I was paying attention. And that's why in the past five months, I finally, maybe for the first time in my life, with intention, caught myself having these experiences instead of letting them pass by unnoticed. I told you all about the interesting experience during harvest just a few months ago and the almost fire that broke out in one of the machines. I wrote down a couple others right when they happened, you know, just in case I noticed a pattern and ended up reading them to you now. So here goes. Uh, first one, I, uh, I pulled into the grocery store parking lot one day into a spot between two cars. I opened my door and didn't let go of the handle for whatever reason. I don't know what the thought was behind it, but I felt like holding it just a second more. Suddenly, this huge gust of wind came out of nowhere And when I tell you, I I had to strain to keep the open door from completely flying all the way open and busting into the side of the car next to me like it was that strong. I absolutely had not noticed the wind at all as I was driving to the store. And I thought immediately afterwards, phew, that was lucky. Could have cost me money, could have cost me time and stress. That was cool. This other one happened uh, much more recently, another wind story. So Lee and I just moved into our new place over the summer. At the time, two AC units had been installed and attached to windows at opposite ends of our place. And they were attached really well. Like they, you know, they did a good job. One night we were in the living room at one end of the house watching Game of Thrones. We're finally on season six. I know, I know, you know what? I'm finally finishing it now, whatever. So we're watching TV at one end of the house. Uh, There'd been severe windstorms all day long, and it was still going on. Now, one of my fears since moving into this place, because the windows are all really old and fragile, and we have more doors here, was that somehow one or the other of my cats were going to find an opening somewhere and escape when I wasn't looking. And I I am now in coyote country, so valid fear. Anyway, I usually floss after dinner, and I was feeling lazy. So I was like, "Mm, 
I'll just wait until the episode is over, and then I'll go to the bathroom, which is located on the other side of the house. I watch for a couple minutes more, when I suddenly get this really intrusive thought, nah, you're going to floss now. So, (laughs) with the attitude, I know. So, I duck out, hurry down the hall into the bathroom. I am reaching for the floss when I hear something that sounds like a small photo frame falling off the wall coming from the attached bedroom. That's what I thought it was at first. That's what it sounded like. So something obviously had dropped, but I wasn't expecting anything, you know, huge or irreparable. I walk into the bedroom to find a gaping wide hole in my wall where my air conditioner had just been. And both of my cats sitting just below it staring up at it. Dudes, I never moved so quickly in my life. So the wind had completely torn the entire AC out of the window, and I would not have heard that subtle sound with GOT blasting in my ears at the other end of our house had I not just gone with that command in my head. If I had chosen to be lazy, my cats would have been coyote chow. So I was so thankful for that. And even though I've been keeping track of this weird stuff like this happening. In that moment, I was still like, whew, that was so lucky. Okay, one more, and then we're going to call it. This one is a story of just synchronicity and the feeling we sometimes get of being led, which I think ties in and goes hand in hand with these abilities. I was at the gym on the treadmill watching the Travel Channel and they were playing some paranormal show. Don't remember the name of it, but they were talking about the Alaska Triangle, which I don't know anything about. Haven't really paid any attention up to this point, so I was just about to tune out and watch something on my phone when they started talking about Pat Price. And that immediately got my full attention. They started talking about him remote viewing some underground military base located inside of Mount Hayes right before he died. And this really perked my eyeballs up because it was closed captioning. But I'd never heard the story. From what they were reporting, his description was pretty detailed about this facility he was seeing talked about what it looked like inside and what was actually taking place there, that it was army, but also had something to do with like extraterrestrials. Okay, very cool. I was like, well, okay, this is a new one. I'll have to talk about it on the show. I'm about to tune out again, thinking it's over. They suddenly bring in this woman who is a remote viewer. They wanted to try and recreate what Pat had been describing and try to find this place. Her name is Lori Williams. Now, that name rang some bells because a friend of mine just days before told me about her after listening to the remote viewing episodes, telling me that she teaches remote viewing and had studied under Pat Price. So they give her the target and she remote views and describes dudes a lot of the same details that Pat did about the interior of this facility, what they were doing there. I felt kind of dumbstruck. At that moment, I I messaged my friend at that point to tell them what had just happened, saying I felt nudged. And that's exactly what it felt like, being nudged, being led by the universe. Like 
I had to go to the gym at just that hour, get on just that treadmill, look up when I did, and just long enough to see the name Pat Price that would obviously draw me in to pay attention when I saw a name I had only recently learned and a case in point of the legitimacy of remote viewing and how two people who can do two separate viewings decades apart and see the same thing, it was, it was a light bulb moment that brought it full circle for me. Synchronicity rocks. It just works that way. And it's happening all of the time. But we often don't recognize it when it does. We let it pass us by, failing to see just how remarkably fine-tuned to our life it is. Sometimes we catch it, and it does feel a bit like magic. But it's not. It's just a mystery that finally clicked. And once you open your eyes to things like synchronicity, to gut feelings, to your good instincts and insight from nowhere, it's hard to close them again. It can be very personal and also profound. It's the answer to a question you didn't know you had, the liminal understanding of something beyond our five senses and physical reality that shouldn't be there and shouldn't make any sense, and yet it's been there all along and makes all the sense. It's the abyss staring into you, just waiting for you to stare back. That wraps our season four conclusion and finale episode. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for sticking with me this far. I just cannot believe we are here and I cannot believe what is in store next season. I am so excited for you. I'm going to do something different this time. I'm not going to tell you what was selected for the season five subject. I want to try some suspense. However, I might have talked about it during this episode. I might have mentioned the topic. So Easter egg hunt buddies, uh, unless I was not so subtle about it and completely transparent, I don't know. Share this episode with a friend or two. See what they think. I have a new patron to shout out. Tassie joined the Paranormal Investigator tier. She's in it for the win. She will be getting her choice of some merch and invite to the Skeptical Believer PGP Book Club. I've got an ever-growing list of nonfiction paranormal works that I am dying for an excuse to read with purpose. Not just for research, but funsies. Thank you sincerely, Tassie, for your patronage and support of the show. You get your very special shout-out to something or someone of choice, and that shout-out goes to Wally, the lap cuddle booger bug. He is adorable. And can we share custody? Because I love him. Your contribution means so much to me. Welcome aboard, my dear. Follow, like, subscribe, rate, and review all things that help a show like mine to grow, bringing new listeners and supporters and opportunities. I have you all to thank for how far we have come, and I am beyond excited to see where we'll go next. With no further delay, here is your final note. If you are having some trouble with my final conclusion, don't think it's possible that you and Bob the Butcher down the street and Ms. Huxtelby from third grade are all just as psychic as anyone else, that this ability, these senses are just as normal as any other ability or sense. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of scientific study that ESP is not only an ability in all of us, 
but is innate and implicitly firing on all cylinders, whether you want it to or not. On the precog episode, I spoke about a study by Dean Radden where participants were physiologically monitored when presented with a series of random images, both neutral and negative in nature. An interesting thing occurred. They noticed sometimes up to 10 seconds before the image was presented, physiological responses were taking place. To say that another way, people were having reactions to pictures they had yet to see. And they were able to monitor these reactions via skin conductance, heart rate, and in other similar studies, EEG and fMRI. So these participants were hooked up to devices that would measure psycho and physiological fluctuation. This is just one of the protocols used when studying the nature of non-local perception that supports the hypothesis that the human mind may have non-local properties, having functions such as perceptual abilities that extend beyond any local functioning of our sensory organs. Local functioning of sensory organs versus non-local functioning of another way to sense stuff There has been clear experimental evidence that the body's psychophysiological system can receive and process information about a future event before the event happens. This was reported in the Bierman and Schultz study published 2002, McCready in 2004, Radin, of course, in 1997 and again in 2004, and more just like these. The experimental evidence and results pointed clearly enough that this was taking place, that it grew into a body of theory describing how this non-local communication might be taking place. They had a sturdy foundation to build upon. It wasn't just a question of whether this was happening or not. The question became how. And they studied this in 2006, exploring this process within the entrepreneurial world, entrepreneurs versus non-entrepreneurs, which is an incredibly smart place to do it as successful entrepreneurs are specifically well known for their gut feelings, good instincts, and their propensity for non-local intuition in decision-making, aren't they? That gut feeling that we all take for granted that is inside all of us is a stone in the foundation here. Remember the interview with Joe McMonagall I talked about where he specifically said he had become known within his ranks for his good gut instincts. He didn't talk about it. He didn't question it. He just used it. Mainstream science still regards any findings of accurate foreknowledge of future events as totally anomalous, despite research and rigorous experimentation of non-local intuitive perception dating back almost 100 years at this point. They like to point to intuition being the result of the unconscious mind accessing some past experience, somehow. But when we look at a study, like the Bierman and Schultz study, we can see just how deflected and downplayed this phenomenon is. Ten subjects were scanned with fMRI while presented with 48 pictures. Each one started with what they called a fixation point, so a blank screen, in order to read the person's baseline. They then showed them the picture, and then would switch it back to blank for a recovery period, so on and so forth. 
They took great care to randomize the photos, never repeating any and making them independent per subject. In spite of proper randomization and despite any lasting effects from any preceding picture, they found anticipatory activation around the amygdala to be larger preceding photos that were emotionally or negatively stimulating compared to those deemed neutral. Even more fascinating, I found this fascinating, was that for male subjects, this anticipatory flare appeared larger preceding erotic stimuli versus females where it appeared larger but preceding both erotic and negative stimuli. But in both, they found that anticipatory response was flat preceding neutral stimuli. Unconscious mind accessing past experiences? What the hell are you talking about? Patricio Trisoldi wrote a really fascinating presentation of evidence collected from trials and experiments investigating whether human visual perception has non-local properties. The results he analyzed were collected from seven different databases, the evidence presented results achieved using three different protocols, and Trisoldi analyzed all he had collected using two different meta-analysis procedures to look at both effect size and probability ratios, so two very different ways to analyze the same data. All in all, he used data from over 200 studies conducted by different researchers with more than 6,000 participants that utilized three different experimental protocols. And when all of the results are put together, they show a pretty interesting higher than probability reality. The appearance of a pattern that should not be there. He concludes that perhaps the converging results represent that oh-so-elusive extraordinary evidence. And he notes that the results are well beyond the standard level considered sufficient by the system of evidence grading that is already in place. They use it in the field of medicine and psychology to either assign strong recommendation versus weak recommendation of treatment based on the evidence. But he does ask, if his results are not considered extraordinary or at least sufficient to suggest that the human mind may have non-local properties, then what standards can possibly apply? Do we need more stringent standards to enable us to accept phenomena that violates our common beliefs regarding physical laws? Very good questions but already such high standards, such stringent standards already in place. I have to wonder if it will ever be enough. I would like to hear those answers as well, and then we'll go from there, I guess. The extent that parapsychologists and researchers in this field have to go to in order to prove something that has shown consistently to have a higher probability than chance might be James Randi's fault. <laughs> Just kidding, kind of. But I suspect it is due to a body of skeptical people whose mind is already made up. And if you're saying to yourself, well, okay, fine, maybe that is just some psychophysiological real occurrence that's taking place that we just don't understand yet. That is just a science thing. 
that we don't fully get, but it's totally logical and biological and rational and normal. And you know what? We'll be able to explain it someday. It's not your woo-woo psychic stuff. I would say, yes, I agree with you. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.